following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. We are jumping back into the Gospel of Matthew. We've been going through the book of Matthew. It's been pretty awesome. And uh, what I love about this, and hopefully you experience this as well, uh, as, we're, as we're walking with Jesus and the disciples on this journey, it's been a, uh, Jesus has been walking with the disciples for three years, and we've been going through this uh, book for um, under a year, but we're tracking uh, story by story, you know, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and as we, as we go through the story, it's almost like you, you start to smell the, the dirt from the ground, you start walking with Jesus and the disciples through the towns and the, the people they encounter, and the stories start to come alive. Uh, in a whole new way, and uh, we can't help uh, to notice this glaring reality that there's so many different personalities along the way. In the stories, there's so many personalities. Um, you know, you, you'll meet like a woman at the well, and you're like, oh, wow, she's interesting, and, and we can relate to her in certain ways, and we're like, okay, I, I understand how Jesus treated her, so I, I kind of feel like I understand myself better when I understand how Jesus treats other people, and then he encounters other people Jesus uh, encounters this one father who, who wants healing uh, for his son and says, do you believe I can? And he said, uh, yeah, I believe, but honestly, will you help me with my unbelief? And when we read stories like that, we can relate, going, yes, I feel the same way. I believe God, but can you help me with my unbelief? And as you go through, you read the disciples, sometimes they're not getting along. The disciples with each other, because the disciples are people just like you and me. And sometimes they're not getting along, and, and they can have a little issue in their relationship, and, and maybe we can relate, because we might have those as well. So the closer we look at the disciples and Jesus, the, closer, the better we understand ourselves. I, I really believe that's true. We learn from them, we learn from Jesus, and uh, there's many lessons to learn in the Bible as we walk with Jesus and walk with the disciples in the story. Uh, we're going to learn something today that's uh, a, pretty, uh, a pretty major lesson. Um, and it's something that uh, comes up in our lives. We don't talk about it very much, but it's actually something major that's coming up in, in Jesus' life. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty amazing, but um, we see in Jesus' life some of the most difficult things were at the very end. He had challenges all along. But at the very end, before he went to the cross, and that's where the, the story is going, we're in Matthew 26. If you guys have your Bible, you want to turn there. We're going to pick up uh, where we left off, but it's nearing the time of the cross, and as it does, the trials get even greater, uh, the difficulties get even uh, greater, and I want to start uh, talking about today one of the specific things, speaking of trials, uh, is temptations, um, because as we learn how to navigate life, and we look at the disciples, and we look at Jesus, we look at what people around Jesus went through, hopefully we're going to glean and we're going to learn from from these things as well, but as we're following Jesus, one thing that he went through, and we don't often think about Jesus going through this, but Jesus went through temptation. Now, some of you, like inside, you're like, oh, don't say that. Don't say Jesus went through because because Jesus is Jesus, and we don't want to get a temptation anywhere near him, anywhere around him. Uh, the fact of the matter is, Jesus was tempted. Um, he was tempted, and one of the things we see, in fact, we're going to call this passage of the last, uh, this message today, The Last Temptation of Christ. Now, some of you um, may know of that title because 
We're going to talk about what it really is, but there was a movie that came out of the 80s, and it was a terrible movie. Um, it was a, a completely maligned the person the nature of Jesus Christ. So I'm hoping if people uh, Google that, they're actually going to pull up a message that's going to correct what the last temptation of Christ might have really been, as opposed to the way it was presented in a movie. But the movie was so bad, it was a box office flop, complete flop. And it was uh, banned in many countries, and even today it is still banned in some countries. Uh, that's how bad it is. But the truth is, Jesus was tempted. He definitely was tempted. And if we get a real honest look at what Scripture says about Jesus and his temptation, I think we can relate better. I think we can navigate better. I think we can be more victorious. And I think we have a greater appreciation for Jesus when we understand uh, the reality of his actual temptations. I think we know ourselves better when we look at him, you look at Jesus, you look at the disciples, you look at what they went through. I think it helps us understand ourselves better and navigate temptation as well. Uh, but the Bible says this, and we don't often think about but I, this, but I want to start this morning by saying Jesus was tempted in every way that we are. I know that sounds weird. Um, if you didn't read it in the Bible, you might go, I don't know if that's true, Pastor, because he's Jesus, and, and his life is probably nothing like mine. But listen, the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way we are. We have that Hebrews 4.15. Um, for up here, it says this. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. That's pretty amazing to me, that Jesus was tempted in every way we were. Now, the Bible doesn't record every temptation of Jesus, um, but there's uh, temptations along the way. In fact, when you look at um, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, it actually records the first three temptations of Jesus. Now, we don't always think about that, but Jesus was tempted in every way we are. The ministry records the very first three temptations, and this will, if you recall the time after Jesus was baptized, it's the very beginning of his public ministry. John the Baptist baptizes him. The Father says, this is my son who I love and I'm well pleased with. Listen to him. Immediately, Jesus goes out to the desert where he fasts and prays, and he is tempted. A lot of your Bibles will have that heading, that Jesus was tempted, or Jesus went through, some of your Bibles will say Jesus' Jesus's trial in the desert, his trial. Some prefer to use the term trial instead of the word temptation. But I think when you look at the scripture, it was in fact temptation. It was also a trial. And we're going to see this morning that your trials and temptations, there's a direct correlation with trials in your life and temptations in your life. And the same with Jesus here. But he literally started his ministry fasting for 40 days. He was out in the desert absolutely famished. If you can imagine what it's like to skip a meal or two or if you've ever gone a day or two without food, could you imagine 40 days? Jesus is absolutely famished. He is exhausted. And I don't know if you know this, but the enemy, the devil, tries to tempt us when we are at our weakest. You know that? He tries to tempt us when we are at our weakest. So he looks for times when we are at our weakest, when we're in a trial, when you're in a trial, when I'm in a trial, when we're at our weakest, the devil goes, 
aha, this is the moment. Here is the correlation between trials and temptations uh, begin to unfold. But it says this in Matthew 4, 1, which we have up here. It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Like right away, Jesus is famished, famished, potentially at his weakest, going through the struggle. Everyone thinks, wants to think Jesus never got weak. We're going to see some passages today where Jesus had some difficulty and struggles. He had these trials where he was all God but all man at the same time. And he left his heavenly boat and took on the form of a, this earth suit, and he suffered, and he went through things, and he was tempted in every way. We were, and I told my prayer today is that you relate better to Jesus today than you ever did before when you realize the stuff he went through, that he understands you, he gets you. And, and again, the Bible says uh, we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize. He can empathize with our weaknesses. He gets our trials. He gets our struggles. He gets the temptations but he shows us a way through. Now, if we wonder what it looked like with Jesus in the desert going through this, it's hard to picture exactly, but we do have a video. That maybe is what it looked like, but what I'm bringing out here is that the devil came to Jesus when Jesus was in a weak moment, seriously in the natural, he was fasting, but in the, in the flesh at a very weak moment. If you hadn't eaten for 40 days, and the devil found you in a weak spot and offered you food, but didn't stop there. Offered to make you king of the planet and the universe and the pride of life, the lust of everything that the humans we go after. Jesus is like the enemy's like, I'll give you this, I'll give you this, and I'll give you this. That's what he does. He uses his best temptation when we are at our weakness. Uh, Jesus shows us a few key things here regarding temptation that if we resist the devil, he will flee. Number one, Jesus shows us that, James tells us that. Resist them, he will flee. Also shows us that we can beat any temptation with the word of God and with uh, faith. Um, the Bible tells us that we have a shield of faith and we have a sword of the spirit. Jesus used the word of God against the devil. He believed it. He had faith in it and he used it. And the devil's like, I, I have no answer for that. I have no answer for that. If you're going to stand on God's word and you really believe his authority, I got no answer for that. And the devil ends up uh, walking away, and he also shows us, according to 1 Corinthians 10, that God always gives us a way out of temptation. No temptation has seized you except for that which is common to man, and he always gives us a way out. So no matter what the temptation is, um, there is a way out. So if you're a note-taker today, I've heard you write a few key things down that will really help you in your trials, in your difficult times, as we relate to Jesus' story and the disciples and what's going around him today, uh, we're going to see some glaring things. The first point is this. In every trial, there is a temptation. In every trial, there is a temptation. Jesus is going through this trial in the desert. The devil, the devil comes right up to him and, and throws temptation right uh, in, his, in his face and challenges him. And I would suggest to you that when you and I go through trials, uh, there will be a temptation in it as well. Because when we're in trial, you and I are being stretched. It is hard. It's not fun. It's difficult. We don't have a lot of steam left when we're in trial. We're losing hope. We don't have energy. We don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know how we're going to get through it. We don't know how we're going to fix it. We don't know how we're going to overcome. We're at this 
challenged position. We're not in a great spot. And how many enjoy going through trials? Anybody in the room? No, we don't like it because it puts us in this spread out kind of place. It's very uncomfortable. We don't like it at all. But life has trials. Jesus said you will have them. It's part of life. Trials, tribulations. But know that in every trial there will be a temptation. And oftentimes uh, it's how will you respond in the middle of your trial. And that is often your temptation in mind. How will you respond in that trial? You could respond this way or that way in the middle of the time that the temperature's turned up or you're being stretched, you're in this trial. How will you respond? And we see this all the time because sometimes when we're in a trial, uh, it's our human nature, sometimes people do things that we wouldn't normally do, but people do it because they're in this trial. Here's an example. You're going through a trial, and something is making you angry. You feel angry because you're in this challenge or this trial or somebody said something they shouldn't or the job or the situation or a client or whatever it might be, a neighbor. And so you're in this challenge, you're in this trial, and in the middle of that trial, your temptation is, will I lash out at them or will I bless those who persecute me? You see that temptation? That's a glaring temptation right in front of you. It's in your trial, it's staring right in front of you, and you can choose to do two things. You might say, I don't normally lash out, but in that trial I did. And in that case, we fell to the temptation. We, uh, in fact, as I was coming in, uh, in this morning with, the, with my kids, we're, we pray over the city on the way in. As we're, as we're driving and we're about to get on a freeway, the car in front of us, the license plate frame says, I don't get mad, I get even. That's somebody announcing when I go through a trial, I lash out. When I go through, I get them back. That's what they're saying very proudly. Uh, that's not what we do as Christ followers. When we're given trials, we're like, Jesus, this is hard. This is hard right now. But I want to pass the test and I want to respond well in the middle of the trial because there's a temptation in every trial. If the trial is finances, somebody's having a financial stretch, things are going really difficultly, um, Sometimes when there's a challenge with our finances, people find a way to compromise. They wouldn't normally compromise when everything's going good, but in the financial trial and struggle, that's when people realize, okay, there is a temptation in the middle of this financial trial, and people think, well, maybe if I just did this and come up with compromise, they wouldn't normally do. We see this happen often. Uh, marriages, marriages going through a problem. It's a difficult season. Someone's going through a hard time. So one will say, God, this is hard. I don't understand it. Give me the strength I want to get through. And others will say, I just want to quit because I don't want to have to deal with this anymore. There's, there's the challenge and the temptation uh, when we are hurt, when we're hurt by somebody or something somebody did to us. The temptation is to write them off because somebody treats you that way and just write them off. Or that's the temptation of the trial. Or I think the Lord wants me to be reconciled with them. You see how, see how there's a temptation in every trial? Every trial has a temptation. And so this is really important. But this passage moves on today. We're going to look at this temptation, uh, one of the last temptations of Christ, I believe. It's not the last. It's one of the last. We're going to cover some things where he is in a really challenged position. It is not fun. It doesn't feel good. Uh, and yet we see Jesus who was tempted in every way. We are but did not sin. So we have this one to look at, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, to go, wow, 
look how you navigate this stuff, Jesus. I want to walk with you. I want to follow you. I want to respond that way. And yet there's people around Jesus, just like you and I, that drop the ball from time to time and make these stumbles and these mistakes and we learn from them as well. And this week we're going to focus on one of the disciples and next week we're going to focus on another one. Hopefully we will learn from these. So picking up in Matthew um, 26, where we left off in this gospel in verse 14, we're going to look at the sections and have it with a screen for you as well up here. It says this, uh, Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver, and from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Where we had left off last time, we saw the religious leaders have been planning and planning and plotting to arrest and kill Jesus, but it's been difficult. They haven't found the right opportunity the right way, but they're realizing at this point, how are we going to do it? In this passage, one of the twelve, ouch, one of the twelve, Judas Iscariot, uh, approaches them, or they approached him, and uh, he, well, he went to them, and there must have been sidebar conversations on, I don't know what happened, that, that he thought he might have a, a connection with these guys, but he goes and says, what are you willing to give me for Jesus? Now listen, it's one thing if a stranger wants to cause you harm. That's one thing. But it's an entirely another thing when a close friend causes you harm. And this is a trial that Jesus is going through that is monumental. This hurts a lot. This is very close to home with Jesus. In fact, this sometimes betrayal, because that's what this is, betrayal can be one of the hardest trials that you ever go through. Betrayal can be one of the most hurtful things that you ever go through in life. This is important because we are Christ followers. And as we follow Christ, we see Jesus walk through all kinds of stuff. And some of it's not fun. Some of it's not good. And yet he's in this middle of a situation where a friend betrays him. And we're like, oh no, that must hurt so bad. And we're going to watch the way Jesus navigates these sort of things. But I would suggest it's maybe one of the hardest trials that you will ever endure. And like I said, there's a temptation in every trial how you handle yourself in a time uh, like this. Oswald Chambers stated this about betrayal referring to this season of Jesus' life right here. Uh, after Jesus is 33 years old at this point, and finally at the very end of his public ministry, the very end, the very end, his last couple of days, last day or two on, on earth before the cross and the resurrection, comes betrayal. The very end. The very end. Oswald Chambers says, Betrayal is one of the last, the last of Christ's trials and maybe one of the most difficult. He said that as Jesus was tested with betrayal, his followers may be as well. Betrayal is a hard one. And Jesus had to deal with this. And I think this might have been the very, very most difficult one uh, that he had. And then we see this play out in the next uh, passage of the Last Supper. We see the plotting of the betrayal, and then we actually see it play out in the next section of Scripture. Verse 17 goes on to say, On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, My appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate Passover with my disciples at your house. 
So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. And when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him, one after another, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to the man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't need me, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, You have said so. Now this is Jesus' closest circle, closest friends on the planet. Jesus has traveled for three years with this really tight-knit crew of, of guys. They ate together. They ministered together. They laughed together. They saw the miraculous together. They've been through everything together. And yet, in this tight, tight circle of three years of doing everything explosive in ministry, he says, one of you will betray me. And that's shocking, and that would hurt really, really bad. Um, and so, we don't know how long this thing has been brewing uh, with Judas, uh, but we know that uh, Psalms tells us there's a prophecy that's being fulfilled right here about one of his inner circle will betray him, and we see the fulfillment of that right here. Uh, other scriptures tell us that uh, Judas was the treasurer, he was keeping the money, and he was uh, wanted to keep something for himself, so we get a little hint that his character is skewed, and, but he's with Jesus, and he's going with them, and you're trying to figure out what's up with this guy, uh, Judas. Uh, but ultimately he says, woe to the, the one who the betrayal comes from, woe to him. So we know that this about Judas, uh, as well as Israel and the people around Jesus at the time, he had just come in on Palm Sunday. And on Palm Sunday, he came in and they're shouting, Hosanna, basically this is the son of David, this is the descendant from David's tribe who is going to reign as our Messiah, this is him. And they're waving palm branches. Now the expectation is, when he comes in, he overthrows Rome, and Israel sets up the kingdom. That's Israel's expectation, because they didn't have a clear, clear look at what Scripture really says about the Messiah, and what he will do, and they're missing Isaiah 53, when Messiah comes, he will actually suffer, and what he will do is come to pay for sin. It's very clear in the Old Testament, but many overlook it. And so as Jesus came in, they thought this was going to be some monumental victory, and Jesus is like, no, no, that's why I'm coming in on a donkey. It's an animal of peace, not an animal of war. So there was a misunderstanding of what Jesus was expected to do according to some people. But Jesus did everything Scripture expected of him, but some people had a different expectation. And I say this because Judas, Judas seemed to have his own set of expectations. Um, Jesus, Judas is walking with Jesus, but things aren't going the way Judas is thinking. Um, Judas could have left a long time ago, but at this point in time, he, he begins to walk away and talk to the, to the Pharisees about selling Jesus out. We see the things about um, Judas right here, uh, and, and I think Judas represents something. Now, I have no empathy for Judas. Judas sold out Jesus, our Messiah. Judas, I don't think he was ever a genuine follower of Jesus. I don't know that he ever was. Maybe he figured, hey... I go along with Jesus, and he becomes Messiah, maybe I'll get a place in the kingdom too. I don't know what his motive was, we don't know, uh, so I have no idea what was going on in his head or his heart, except for he sold out 
the Messiah, so there's no empathy for that. But I do think there's something in Judas's life that uh, represents many people we know, and it's simply this. Um, there is an expectation, if I follow Jesus, then Jesus will do this for me. If I follow him, this will happen. If I follow him, everything will be happy, everything will go good. And, and the problem is sometimes everything doesn't go good, and that creates a major uh, paradigm shift for many of us. When you're following Jesus, and yet you're in a trial, and you're like, oh, no, why is this going on? Many people don't have a category for that. Many people get very rocked in their faith. Many people have get very challenged um, when they do that. Um, because when we're following Jesus, we have these expectations of God and his kingdom and the way life's going to go. And when it doesn't, some people actually get angry. Some people get angry. You may know some people in your life who walked with God for a season. Does anybody know people who walked? But they got angry about something. Honestly, right? I know... Uh, too many. They, they walked with God for a season. And I don't know how devoted they were, but I know they walked with God for a season. But life didn't play out the way they hoped it did. Life didn't play out the way they expected it to. And I would be as bold to say as in, in their lives, God didn't do what they thought God should have done for them. Now, it's not what God said he would do for them. It's just what they thought God should have done for them. And since God didn't do what they think God should have done for them, uh, they actually pulled away from God and even went further and got angry uh, with God. And I understand when, when you want God to show up and he doesn't do what you want him to do. I understand how that's disheartening and that's a challenge. I get it. I hope we all get that. But the point is, he is God and we are not. Amen? He is God and we are not. And his ways are so much higher than our ways. And this side of heaven, we might not know why. But the point of the matter is, we will know why. Someday we're going to see him face to face. We're going to get to ask every question uh, that we can. The journey is still by faith. It's not by proof. This whole journey is by faith all the way through. But there are many who, who do the same kind of thing. And I don't know if you heard the story about uh, Ted Turner. He started CNN News Network and TBS, Turner Broadcasting Network, uh, TBN. And when he was young, uh, he had a sister uh, who was uh, who got very ill, and so Ted Turner uh, started to pray, pray earnestly. And uh, five years later, his sister continued to struggle, and his sister died. And at that point, Ted Turner says, "This doesn't work. God didn't do what God should have done. That's not what I expected. I expected I'm going to pray, and that's going to get better, and it didn't happen. So now, I not only step back." Now, I get angry at God, and confesses to be an atheist, and doesn't stop there, continue to create content for TV and endorse content that was actually maligning the nature of God and who he is. That's not who he was when he was young, but when life didn't go the way he expected to do, and he, when God didn't do what little Ted expected God to do, he turned, and this is what happens, I have friends, they expected God to do something. Not something God promised he would do, just something they thought God should do. And since God didn't do what God should do according to them, they pulled away, backed away, and that's what happened right here. Since he couldn't understand it, his faith was over. And it happens to so many. Here's our second point this morning. This may have happened to Judas, I don't know. But it happens to people. Our second uh, question is this. Faith can ask the question, why? But faith doesn't stop without its answer. 
Faith can always ask the question, why? Why, God? I, I don't understand this. I, I don't know. I don't know why this is happening. I, I expected this, and I, that's okay. You know, you have a heavenly Father that loves you, and you can come boldly before the throne. And you can put any question out before God. I don't think, I don't know your experience with the earthly father was, if you can come transparently and just share your heart and say what's going on. I'm not really sure. We're all over the place, maybe different uh, parenting roles or lack thereof in our, in our lives. But the point is, with our Heavenly Father, you can come and bear your heart. You can say, Father, I don't get why A, B, and C happened. I really don't. And I'm struggling with it. And I actually got a problem with it. And that's okay to be transparent before Heavenly Father with your questions. But listen, faith doesn't stop because of an unanswered question. Faith continues despite of our unanswered questions, but some don't move forward. If they don't get their question answered, they stop completely and begin to retreat. And let that not be said of us. Because Jesus is the author and perfecter of this faith. The journey began by faith, the whole journey is by faith, and continues by faith. So um, this is really, really important. And it's all because God didn't do in this story, God didn't do what Ted expected him to do. And sometimes God doesn't do what, what, what Brian expects him to do. God doesn't do what Christy expects him to do, or Kim, or Tom, or somebody else. God doesn't do what we expect. I get it. I get it. You get it too, I hope. But listen, how do we respond in that trial? There is your temptation. In that trial, there is your temptation. How do you respond in that trial? Um, so listen, here's our third point this morning. Uh, never be tempted to quit when it's not going the way you planned. Never be tempted to quit, because that is the temptation in many of our trials and many things in life. It is not going the way I planned. I am going to quit. God often brings us through things and not takes us out of things. And that's a con uh, there's a narrative in Scripture where we see this. Oh, okay, God's working something out of the trial. Consider it all joy when you go through trials of many kinds, because God is developing perseverance and faith. He's doing a work in us that can only be done in the fire, and so we got to get through them. But here it goes on in verse 26. It continues this way. It says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine, from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, uh, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, I wish I could have heard them sing that hymn. I think that would be so cool, Jesus and the guys singing this hymn. I'm like, I don't know about you, but I just wondered what that would have sounded like 2,000 years ago in Hebrew. Uh, it would have been really cool. Um, but the passage right here is the Last Supper, it's the Passover meal. Uh, that Israel celebrated every year at Jesus and the disciples did. We're familiar with this passage because we celebrate communion every month. And when we uh, do, we talk about this passage often. So you've heard this passage many times. And you've heard this passage taught on and explained uh, many times. But what the key thing here is two things. In the middle of a Passover meal, Jesus holds up the bread, the unleavened bread, and in the Passover celebration today, you have Jewish friends, this is what they do. They break the bread, they wrap it, they wrap it, they put it away, it is hidden, 
and then later on it is revealed. That is something that happens with the Passover bread. It is, it is broken, it is wrapped, it is hidden, and later on at the end, after everything's over, it's later revealed. And Jesus said, guess what? That's going to be my body. And the disciples are like, huh? Jesus is like, I know we do this with the Passover bread, but that's about to be me, literally, in the next day. That's about to be Jesus. I will be broken for you. I will be wrapped. I will be put into a tomb. And then I'm going to come out and be revealed again. This didn't make sense when I heard it. But when it all came to fulfillment, they're like, oh my goodness. That's it. Now we understand why we do the Lord's Supper. Everything Jesus said was going to happen did happen. And then he said the same thing at the time of the meal when they lift up the cup. He said this. This wine, this, it was a cup of salvation, they called it in Israel, and they used to sell it in the Passover meal, and it was to symbolize freedom from the bondage of Egypt into the deliverance to a new land. It's a transition from bondage to a freedom. And Jesus said, guess what? It still is a cup of salvation, but it means something different. We're not talking about coming out of Egypt to get into a promised land. We're, coming, we're talking about all your bondage from all the sin, your past, everything taken away from you. <coughs> Nothing else can do it. No sacrifice of animals, nothing. I'm taking it all away through this cup of my blood, and I'm giving you eternal life through this. Do this in remembrance of me. And they were like, oh my goodness, after Jesus did all this, they're like, we understand exactly now what he meant. And so Jesus says this, and from there they immediately go to this garden of Gethsemane. And this is where we see the betrayal take its full, uh, you know, the, 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 just the full picture of betrayal played out. And this, to me, is clearly, if the betrayal itself wasn't the last temptation of Jesus, certainly the last trial, and a temptation in the trial, his own words in the garden, his own struggle, he's, he's in such a struggle that he's sweating like blood coming out of the pores, which is a medical condition of so much anxiety and stress. So when we think of Jesus, oh, no, he's the Messiah, the Son of God, we think that he walked off the ground and his feet didn't touch the ground. No. He was tempted in every way you were. Jesus was tempted in every way we are. He was going through the most difficult time ever. And let's look at this passage to see what it looks like. In verse 36, we're going to jump to 36. Because next week we're going to pick up 31 through 35 and talk about Peter. We're going to talk more about Peter next week. So we're going to put Peter's passage together. So move to verse 36 and it says this. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and began uh, to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this copy taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus is entirely overwhelmed. You can't miss it. Oh, we never see Jesus overwhelmed so far in Scripture. It's 33 years old. we got three years of public ministry. We've never seen Jesus overwhelmed. Jesus is going through a trial right now that is monumental. He is entirely overwhelmed. He can relate to you when you get overwhelmed, okay? When you get overwhelmed, Jesus gets you. He can relate to you. Jesus was over 
overwhelmed. And when you get overwhelmed, let's do what Jesus did when he was overwhelmed. And we see it right here. It's our fourth point this morning if you're a note taker. When you are entirely overwhelmed, go a little further and pray. Jesus was entirely overwhelmed, and it says, yet he went a little further and prayed. If you're overwhelmed, you can't think of down the road. You don't even think you can't even get another mile down the road. You're overwhelmed right now. You can't get much further than where you're at right now, and that's why you're overwhelmed. But Jesus is saying, but just, just go a little further and pray. And as you break through in prayer, it's almost like one of those uh, icebreakers, those ships they have that actually cut through the ice. They, they split the ice and they make a way for other ships. And you seem like you're overwhelmed, but, but Jesus was overwhelmed to the point of death. And Jesus is like, look, do what I did. I get it. I, you're overwhelmed. I get you. I understand. But go a little further and pray. And that's what he did. When your trial is so hard, there'll always be a temptation in the trial. And Jesus, here's, here's Jesus' temptation. Again, we don't like the word temptation in Jesus. We don't like it. A lot of people, no, don't say that about Jesus. It's not sin. Temptation is not sin. Temptation is the opportunity to sin. It's not sin. Jesus was tempted in every way we are, yet did not sin. And so here is Jesus' temptation in the middle of this trial. He's like, this is so hard. He's like, Father, if there's any way you can actually just take it away, just take it away. God put it in front of him. Jesus was obedient to the point of death, death on the cross, and paid for the sins of the world. Jesus already knew this. The overwhelming pain and anxiety of what he is feeling. He is so overwhelmed. He's like, in the middle of his trial, Father, can you take it away? How about it? It goes away right now. You see the, you see the temptation in that? And yet, he says, even though he's brutally honest and he's completely transparent with the Father about his real pain and his real hurt and his real situation, even though he puts it out there bare, takes his heart out and puts it right before God, completely overwhelmed, sweating blood, going, I am overwhelmed, I can't handle this, I can only take a couple of more steps and pray, I got nothing left in me, Father, I got nothing left, and I'm going to just be real with you right now, Father, with my heart right here in my hands, if there's any way you can take this away. Just take it away. There's any way you can take it away, take it away. And as he sits there in prayer, he goes, but you know what? Not my will. Let yours be done. And here is how he's tempted in every way. He doesn't sin. You see how he passed the test? You see the temptation right in the trial? Take it away. I don't like this. I'm not going to do it. And to, no, take it away. I don't like this, and I don't want this. But, but, yet, not my will. If you pass the test, there's a temptation in the trial, and Jesus, this might have been the ultimate temptation of Christ, or what we're about to see next might have been the last temptation of Christ. These are the last struggles and trials and temptations that Jesus has. It would be so hard to, to, to walk right with all this pain and all this trouble and all this anxiety. Um, but anyway, it goes on, um, and, and, and Jesus says, this is our fifth point this morning, um, is pray, pray this when you go through a trial. When you go through a trial, you don't get it, you don't understand it, pray this. Father, I want this trial to go away, but I want your will even more. Trials are tough. And you can ask God, but he may move things, he may move people, he may move situations, he may open the floodgates, he, he may do all kinds of beautiful, amazing, profound, miraculous things that will bless your 
Stock someone, drop something out of the sky, bring a provision, uh, bring a miraculous healing, all these wonderful things because God does these things, but if he doesn't, if he doesn't, pray with Jesus, pray. Overwhelmed, and I wanted to go away, and I got kind of nothing left. But, Father, not my will, yours be done. That is the pass. That is how you pass the temptation in your trial. Is to do it God's way, not our own way. Because in a trial, that's what we tend to take things in our own hands. When we're in the trial, that's when we go, this isn't working, I need to fix it. And there's stories in the Bible full of them, of people who were doing that. Uh, Saul, King Saul, God said, whatever you do, don't do A, B, and C. He's like, sure, no problem. But at the end of his life, things are getting difficult. He's like, I'm going to do it anyway. I've got to make something happen here. God didn't do something. I'm going to go make it happen myself. Prophet's like, don't do that, don't do that. It's like, no, I'm just make it happen because I'm in a hard time here and I just gotta make it happen. And it's like, don't do don't take things into your own hands and force things, especially when it's compromised and it's against the ways of God. But that's what our human nature does when we're in trials. There's a temptation in every trial to do it God's way or to just do it the world's way or the devil's way or a compromised way. It says in verse 40, as we finish this passage. It says, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. You might want to underline that in your Bible. The spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. There's plenty of things like, oh, that sounds great. Uh, we have a prayer, a 12-hour prayer coming up in a couple of weeks. And I hope all of you pick an hour time slot to come by from noon until midnight. And it's amazing. For those of you who come, you understand the power of it. You see how God meets you there. Some of you have never been there. Um, you will get a sign-up come for one slot of prayer. Um, but, but like many things, it's like the spirit is willing. That sounds great, Pastor B, but the flesh is weak. On a Friday, can I take an hour actually to go and jump into prayer? Will I actually do it? And so the idea sounds good, but the practicality sometimes doesn't work out. Jesus is saying that right here. But here is the temptation. Prayer and temptation are tied together according to Jesus. Jesus is saying right now, guys, we are in a trial right now, and you guys are sleeping. The temptation is to fall asleep. I'm asking you, even though you're tired, and you just had a big you know, Thanksgiving, you know how you want a food coma? Uh, after Thanksgiving, how many of you guys like to take a nap after Thanksgiving? Okay, these just got this killer like Passover meal. They just crushed it, right? So these guys are just like sitting back. Mm, hey, over there, Jesus. I'm just laying down over here. And so these guys are taking a nap. And she's like, no, no, guys, this is not time for a nap. Uh, I know your spirit's willing, your flesh is weak. This is not a time to fall asleep. This is the time to pray. And yet they're falling asleep. And Jesus is like, look, guys, pray. Listen to this. Pray so you don't fall into temptation. Hear what Jesus said? Pray so that you do not fall into temptation. So Jesus' word, that if you do pray, you won't fall into temptation. So there's this, there's a, there's this parallel thing going on with, with prayer and with temptation, and Jesus said, if you do this, that won't happen. This is Jesus' word. So here's our last point this morning. Remember, temptation will keep you from prayer, but prayer will keep you from temptation. Temptation will keep you from prayer. The temptation is like, oh, I pray about it. That's the temptation. 
and it will keep you from prayer. But the prayer will keep you from temptation. Um, and that's what Jesus is saying. He's, Jesus' own words, verse 41, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Jesus is telling them, look guys, if you would just pray, you're not going to fall into temptation. But you're not praying and you're falling asleep when you're supposed to be watching. This is the most monumental ethical point of the whole ministry is concluding right here, right now, tonight, but you guys aren't seeing it. You guys are falling asleep. You're in a food coma. Uh, <laughs> and you're, you're falling asleep because you're not praying. And if you would pray, you would fully understand and quantify and clock what's going on in this very moment right now. But I'm asking you to pray so you don't fall into temptation. Yet they're not praying and they're falling into temptation. They're falling asleep and they're supposed to be on watch right now. There's ever a time to be on watch with King Jesus. It's right now and then falling asleep. Uh, it, the passage ends like this. This is the culmination of the of the betrayal of Jesus, which is really what this passage is about. Today. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And when he came back again, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come. The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. And with him a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent for the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him on the cheek. And Jesus replied, Do what you came for, my friend. Then the man stepped forward to see Jesus and arrest him. This would be good for the worship team on right now. Jesus is... Betrayed with a kiss. Betrayed with a kiss. It, again, it's one thing if the persecution came from an outside circle. I would say it would be easier to be dragged away by force than it would be to be betrayed by an inner circle. And yet Jesus went through this last temptation of the last temptations of Christ. This is betrayal. Ouch. That hurts really bad. When somebody you love and you know does something like this to you. I hope you in this room have not had that experience of betrayal with somebody you know and love and trust very much. But if you have, I'm sorry you have. But listen, you've got to find a category for it. Jesus had to find a category for this. Jesus had to pass this test. There's a temptation to betrayal, and you go one or two ways with it. Like the license plate frame I saw this morning. I don't get mad, I get even. You can take that route. That's failing the test. Or you can take Jesus' route. Jesus right now, he gets betrayed by Judas in a kiss, and Jesus calls him friend. Ouch. Do what you came for, friend. Ouch. Later on, Jesus is on the cross. He could have got so bitter right now. Jesus could have been so bitter. Jesus could have been so angry. He could have looked at Judas and go, you are the, I can't even believe you right now. Judas, after everything I've done for you, after everything I've shown you, I've spent three years pouring my life out into you to show you the kingdom, to show you the way, and you turn around and... None of that. None of that. Do what you came for. Friend, 
And Jesus was crucified and he's on the cross and he's looking down at people like Judas run off and they're hiding somewhere. Roman soldiers, everybody else. And instead of getting bitter, instead of failing the test, instead of getting angry, shaking their fist and trying to get even with them, he says, Father, forgive them. I don't even think they know what they're doing. I, I, honestly, I don't think they, they don't know what they're doing, Father. If they had any idea, they wouldn't have done it. Huh? Just forgive them. I release them, Father. I release them. Would you release them too, Father? Would you forgive them too? That is profound. That is monumental. That is going through a trial and seeing the temptation right smack in the middle of that trial. And go, you know what? I understand it was the last one for Jesus. Most difficult for last. If you've had that trial, maybe it's one of your most difficult trials you've ever gone through. I hope you don't have this trial, but if you ever do have this trial, I hope we do what Jesus did and pass this trial. Where we go, Father, I'm not holding it against them. You don't need the Father. And there's liberation in that. And you pass the test. And the Father can say, well done, good and faithful servant. Um, this isn't an easy one, guys, but it's a glaring one. And, and ironically, Scripture puts at the very, very, very end of Jesus' public ministry. But it's interesting how his ministry started out with temptation. And I believe his ministry ended with this temptation. How are you going to respond when everything goes sideways and people don't treat you the way they should? What are you going to do, Jesus? Right, friend? You just came for Father, I'm not holding it against them. Yeah, it hurts. It hurts. Oh, yeah, it hurts. I'm not going to hold it against them. with you not either. And the Father is like, we passed the test. He was tempted in every way we were, and yet without sin. And if we were going to follow Jesus, the resurrected one, I would encourage you that some of his mannerisms, the way he walks through the stuff, would be a part of us as well. And I want to close in prayer right now. I want to ask God to seal some things in our heart. But I also just want to ask, there's things in your life and in mine, guys. We had expectations, and they didn't go the way we wanted. Uh, there's people who have let us down. There's people who have done things they should have done. Maybe people close to us. And, and it hurts. It does hurt. But Jesus is showing us something here. And I think he wants us to take this to heart. So um, could we all just stand for a minute? I want to close with prayer. Uh, I, I just feel the Lord wants us to be with a sense of liberation in this area uh, today. And um, Lord, we just pray. We just pray today uh, for this area. I don't know why this was Jesus was tempted in the beginning. And at the very end, he had this crazy overwhelming trial, overwhelming to the point of death, overwhelming. Uh, even willing to say, God, just take it away. If there's any way that can happen, would you do it, Father? In prayer, could you please take it away? But I really want your will more. Uh, and it's baffling to me that he just had that kind of love and endurance. And, and, and even in the middle of all the pain, God, we've been through the, some things in this room, Lord. There's some hurts in this room. There's some pain in the heart. There's some people. There's relationships. There's been breaches where people in closer circles or middle distant circles, families, friends, neighbors, co-workers, spouses, exes, whatever. Um, God, where there's been pain and there's been hurt and there's been betrayal. And Lord Jesus, you're showing us something bigger than that. You're showing us no matter what it is, we can go to the one who came before us, who was tempted in every way we were, and yet without sin. And you're asking us to walk with you, Jesus, even through something crazy like that. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit us at valleymetrochurch.com.